I've often said that I give my best sermons about five minutes after my last sermon, because that's when I think of all the things that I wish I would have said differently, and uh, that was certainly the case this last Sunday. In fact, I think it was about the loop and slide road when I had this clarity like I'd never had before about all the things that I wish I would have communicated more different than I did. But uh, in saying that, I just want to thank you uh, for your patience with me as your pastor. Um, You really are a gracious church, and you always have been. I've mentioned this before. I have pastors as friends, and some of them live under quite the burden of needing to be perfect. And I just want you to know that I do not feel that from you. Now, I can put that pressure on myself, no problem, but I don't feel that from you, and and I'm grateful for that, which is one of the reasons that I'm really thankful for my sabbatical coming up in a couple of weeks, because I really think it'll be helpful for me to separate who I am from what I do on Sunday morning. Because to be honest, I've, I've told few people about this, but I've been struggling in recent weeks slash months with trying to get thoughts in my heads communicated into words, which is a real problem when you're preparing a sermon, right, every week. It can make it difficult. Um, so I'm thankful, but I'm um, looking forward to just kind of giving my brain a rest. I think there's an element of mental fatigue there. But in all of this, I want you to know the Lord has been so gracious. Um, His work of of the Spirit is never limited by our inadequacies. We all know that His power is made perfect in our weakness. And I've seen that in my own life. I know that in no way is He limited by my inadequacies. He does some of His best work, in fact, when we feel like we're at our most needy, dependent place. Um, And so really what I want us to do as a church this morning is just go to the Lord with that heart and ask him to overcome any inadequacies that we may feel, any distractions or difficulties that we bring into our time this morning and trust and believe that he can supersede all of that to speak powerfully into our hearts in life-changing ways. And so let's just humbly go before the Lord together And ask him to do that in our lives this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you recognizing that we have no limit to our inadequacies when it comes to knowing and serving you. And yet, when we are weak, we know that you are strong, that you speak powerfully in our weaknesses. That when we depend upon you, that we find that is our greatest strength, our greatest hope. So, Father, despite how we may come uh, this morning and how we walked into this room with whatever distractions or uh, challenges that we may be facing, I just ask, Lord, that you supersede all of that, that you speak powerfully through your word into our hearts, that you would change us uh, from the inside out in ways that really reveal the beauty of your redemptive work in our lives so that we can proclaim, as we've been learning, the the wonders of him who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. So, Father, this is our prayer, and we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, 
And we'll pick up where we left off last. And I really want to begin with really the first word of verse 1, where Peter makes a transition and he says, therefore. This is a word of, of connection. He's, taking, he's using it to connect what he just said with what he's about to say. Like I said, it, it's a transition word. And it also gives me an opportunity to clarify something that I said last week. Because hopefully you remember, we ended with the idea that judgment begins with the household of God. And what I wish I would have communicated more clearly is that this is a judgment of the world through the witness of the church and not a judgment of God upon the church itself. That's why I went to such lengths last week to, to talk about what Jesus accomplished on the cross, knowing that he took all the judgment that we as his people, the church, has deserved. And so God will not punish his people for a penalty that Jesus has already paid. So, so this is not a judgment upon the church itself. Instead, it's a, a judgment of the world through the witness of the church, which doesn't mean that we are somehow exempt from suffering the consequences of sin, like, like that no longer applies to us. That's not true, and that's why Peter says in chapter 4, verse 15, make sure none of you suffers as a result of sin, as a, a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddling. Meddler, don't, don't make your suffering worse because of the consequence of your sin. But instead, remember the importance of the purity of your faith. As Peter said in chapter 2, verse 9, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Notice how he's just grabbing as many metaphors and concepts and ideas to, to communicate this message that, that you have been set apart with the ultimate priority in life, which is to proclaim the majesty of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been set apart to have a powerful witness in the world living in a way that, that puts the gospel on display. And the world will be judged based on its response to the truth we proclaim. Which is why it is so incredibly important for us to be committed to biblical truth without compromise. And it explains why our compromise is so costly. We cannot afford to change the rules or somehow alter the truth to make it more relevant to the world in which we live today. That was never God's intent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is the word he proclaims. It does not change. Otherwise, we send a misleading message to the world with eternally significant consequences attached to it. There's way too much at stake. That's why Peter now transitions into the importance of shepherding elders. That's why he says, therefore, there's a connection to what he just said to what he will now say. Because the, the role of elder is a divinely ordained 
office for the shepherding and protection of the church and its witness in the world. So, so hopefully that clarifies some of what I communicated last week, but also helps us connect to the importance of what Peter will now say this morning when he talks about the shepherding elders of the church. So let's look at that together. Read with me, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter begins by explaining how the exhortation he now gives applies equally to him. In other words, he's not not giving advice or a, a command that he's not called to fulfill himself. He says very clearly, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder." He's being held to the very same standard as they are. Because we know that Jesus himself called Peter, the apostle, to shepherd the church of God. I think we see that most clearly in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15, when Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because it said to him a, a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Tend my sheep. Now, most of us know how restorative this interaction had to have been for Peter when he had this conversation with Jesus. Because it comes on the heels of his humiliating denial. We talked about this recently, how it was a denial that Peter proclaimed it would never happen. You remember? He boldly said, I would rather die for you than ever deny you. And yet three times, Peter denies ever having even known Jesus. Now here three times, not ironic, but purposefully, Jesus restores Peter, reminding him of what he's called him to do. Because like we said earlier, Jesus is not limited by our inadequacies. He he tells Peter, shepherd my sheep. And I want you to notice the the connection uh, to this calling. Because instead of being disqualified by his failure, we see that Peter is approved based on his love. Jesus asked him, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. And he says, then feed my sheep. He's not disqualified by his failure. He is approved by his love. He is affirmed. Knowing that his affection for God is what compels him to tend his sheep. Because he knows it won't be easy. 
And really, Peter knew the true cost of discipleship more than most. He says in that first verse, he was an eyewitness to the sufferings of Christ. We know that Jesus was there at the arrest of Jesus. He resisted it. He was there during the trial. He was there during the torture. He was there during the crucifixion. Peter saw it all. And yet, he still chose to follow Christ knowing that he would be all in, understanding the true cost of discipleship. But, but right alongside of that was the clarity of what the reward would be. As it says in Hebrews about Jesus when it talks about he, he saw the joy that would have set before him. And I think Peter is saying the same thing. Peter understands the, the glory that would be revealed. Because in essence, Peter kind of got a taste of that glory during his ministry on earth. Remember, he was at the transfiguration when Jesus took on that heavenly glory in his very presence. We see that account in Matthew 17 when it says, and he, Jesus, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, which was one of the lyrics in our song this morning. His garments became as white as light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And so, in essence, Peter got a glimpse of the heavenly reality. Not to mention the, the uh, encounters that Jesus had with the resurrected Christ, right? Dead, buried, raised again, and he walked with him, and he talked with him. In fact, that passage in John 21 that we just read was one of those conversations that Peter had with the resurrected Christ. And so Peter understands the, the glory that is yet to come because he got a glimpse of it even during his earthly ministry. And so now that Peter establishes this common ground, he tells his fellow elders precisely what Jesus said to him. Notice the connection, shepherd the flock of God. He didn't tell them, oh, go be a good elder. No, that's not what he said. He says, tenderly take care of God's people with the heart of a shepherd. Feed them. Feed them with the nourishing truth of God's word. Refresh them by reminding them of the promises of God. Protect them from the lies of the enemy. Rescue them from the deceitfulness of sin. Shepherd the flock of God. Love them and, and lead them with tender care. And now Peter goes on to, to kind of unpack and describe what that actually looks like by not only explaining what it is, but by contrast, what it's not, right? He says in verse 2, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. It's like what Peter says, in, or Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, when he writes, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer or elder... It is a fine work he desires to do. So serving as an elder begins with a desire to serve. That's why we've always said around here that, that we will only consider men for the role of elder who are already shepherding God's people as an elder. 
They're not posturing for some position of authority. They're not fulfilling a religious obligation. They are compelled by a deep and sincere affection for their church family. That's the heart of a shepherd. Peter says it's something they do eagerly, but not for sordid gain. Because sometimes we can be eager for all the wrong reasons, right? Instead of a humble desire, it's something that maybe they believe they deserve. Like a business executive, they've kind of put in their time and now they they have a right to have influence. But that is not how it works in the church. Paul says in Titus chapter 1 verse 7, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. And that last one's interesting to me. How, how can someone be fond of sordid gain? Well, in the context, I think it's describing someone who looks at a position of authority and believes it comes with certain privileges. Allowing them to, to cut corners without consequences. Believing that they, they uh, play by a different set of rules which undeniably has disaster in the life of the church. How many of y'all listened to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill? If you have, you know what it looks like. Because power corrupts people, even people within the church. So they must be eager to serve, but not for selfish gain. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the role of elder is not primarily a position of authority, but instead it is primarily a role of surrender. It is a position of submission. Surrendering your heart to God and willing to serve the needs of others is more important than your own, even at personal expense. That's why Peter can say in in verse 3, be examples of the flock without lording it over them. I think this is the heart behind what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, when he writes, In all things, show yourselves to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine and dignified. Which means that someone with a shepherd's heart will show people what to do before they ever tell them what to do. Otherwise, they're just putting a burden on others they're not willing to carry for themselves, which is exactly what the religious leaders did all throughout the New Testament. And Jesus condemned it. Like when he says in Matthew 23, verse 1, teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So, talking to the people, you should be careful to do everything that they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads And put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide, the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and be called rabbi by others. And this is exactly the opposite of what the elder is called to do. They must be an example because they are motivated by love, which means they openly admit their weaknesses and don't pretend to be 
pretend to be perfect. Because here's the deal. Part of their example is being willing to admit to their failures. It's their response to to sin, demonstrating a a heart of humble repentance, a desire to seek forgiveness and to, when necessary, make amends. Like like anyone who's seeking to follow Christ, as we read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, they want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that, as Peter says in verse 4, When the chief shepherd appears, they receive the unfading crown of glory. Which, in my opinion, is not some special elder reward. I said, I think this is the reward that goes to all the saints. It's the inheritance that Peter's already described back in chapter 1, verse 4, when he talked about this imperishable undefiled, will not fade away, a reward reserved in heaven which applies to all of God's people. This is our shared motivation, our collective inheritance to to be in the presence of our Savior. As Peter says in chapter 2, verse 25, the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Mark 10.45 says that he's the one that did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the good shepherd who willingly laid down his life for his sheep. It was his sacrifice that rescued us from the wages of sin. And he lovingly, like a shepherd, tenderly leads us into life everlasting. And and any crowns that you or I or anyone might receive, I promise you, are going to be placed at the feet of Jesus in a heart of humble worship. Look at how he continues in verse 5. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. I distinctly remember when I was in my 20s and 30s, college, young adult, here attending Melanie Park Church. And boy, I thought I had it all figured out, right? I was full of zeal. I I was excited. I I had an exciting vision for the church. I was involved in a a life of ministry. I was teaching here. And I really did sincerely want to make an impact for the kingdom of God. But I just couldn't understand why the elders wouldn't get on board. I I really didn't. I, I just couldn't understand why they moved so dang slow. I mean, they were as slow as a snail that's run out of slime. That's how slow they were. And I just couldn't understand how, how, how we couldn't be more progressive, how we couldn't get more involved in more things until I became an elder. Because that's when I learned why they moved so slow. They were unwilling to move until they were convinced that God was leading the way. And not one of them, not just one person who's convincing the others, I'm talking all of them. So that the decisions that they made were always in unanimity. No one was left out. No one was being pulled along. They were all equally convinced that this was the way the Lord was leading. And so when Peter asked young men to be subject to the elders, I believe he's saying, honor their efforts to follow the Lord. Instead of complaining about their progress, be committed to them in prayer. 
because the elders are imperfect people trying to discern the perfect will of God. And their efforts will not be flawless. In fact, I can tell you firsthand as an elder that we have made our share of mistakes. But I also can tell you at the very same time that I will never question the heart of those men to be faithful to the Lord even when they didn't do the right thing in the right way at the right time. I think which is why Peter admonishes the people, all of us, as, as the people of God, the church of God, to, to clothe yourselves in humility. He says, for God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. It is our humility that ultimately protects the unity of the church. It's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That should be the very culture of the church in which we live in. Because do you remember what this is all about? Do you remember what the therefore was there for? This is all about the importance of protecting the witness of the church in the world, which is ultimately the primary responsibility of the elders in the church. Yes, we want to shepherd and protect the flock of God, but not so that we can live in our holy huddle isolated from the world. It's so that we can live out our faith in a world that is filled with wolves and remain faithful to the very end. Living in a way that puts the gospel on display because once again, the world will be judged based on their response to the truth we proclaim. There's a lot at stake. And so let me close with a request. I've been talking with the Lord to the Lord for several weeks now as I look uh, to my sabbatical in a couple of weeks, and I've just been asking him, would you help me see what it looks like to raise up young men in particular who can serve in the leadership of the church, whether it's this church or any church, men whose heart looks just like we talked about this morning. Yeah, I want, I'm looking forward to, to some rest and some renewal and, and a brain that starts to work again, right? But, but most importantly, what I'm just compelled with, Lord, would you just help me see what it looks like to do what Roger did for me, to, to raise up men who are willing to serve and commit themselves to the life of the church. Because here's what I'm seeing, and, and I'm going to tell you this knowing that this is one man's perspective, okay? So you can take it for what it's worth. But here's what I see. I see a tremendous vacuum of leadership within the life of the church. And, and please hear this qualification, and not because there's a lack of qualified men. That's not the problem. Instead, it has more to do with the desire of these men to sacrificially serve the church. Too many people want to get too many things in order before they're willing to give anything to the church. And so I just ask you to pray with me as I earnestly seek the Lord, asking him to help me understand my role to, to faithfully equip others for the work of ministry. Pe people who understand the importance of, of our witness in the world, which really goes well beyond the leadership of the church. 
This should actually be the heartbeat of every man and woman, every boy and girl within this body of believers, faithfully shepherding one another to faithfully follow Christ. Do you know what that's called? Discipleship. Faithfully shepherding others to faithfully follow Christ. And there is not a Christian on the face of the planet who is exempt from that calling. Because remember, the judgment of the world begins with the household of God. Which is why our commitment to biblical truth is so important and it's why our compromise is so costly. There's way too much at stake. So may we faithfully shepherd one another to faithfully follow Christ all to the praise and glory of His name. To whom belongs all glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and for your love for us. We are your church. We're your people. We're blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ, and you care deeply about our well-being, so much so that you did not leave us to ourselves to, to figure out how to navigate this world. You gave us your word. You equipped us with your spirit. You ordained leadership within your body, all for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry so that we could have a powerful witness in the world. We are your plan A for proclaiming the marvelous works that you've performed. Of you who have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You, we are your plan A proclaiming your truth to the world. So Lord, help us to do that faithfully. As shepherds of one another, we're shepherding each other to faithfully follow Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand. On behalf of the elders at Millie Park, Mark, and Carrie, and Doug, and myself, uh, we want you to know we love you. Deeply, sincerely love you. And we do consider it a privilege to be elders of this amazingly gracious church. There's so much good that goes on here. Yeah, there's struggles and heartaches, but this is life. And we walk through them together. And I just want to encourage you that, that we as elders are no different than you. We're just trying to shepherd each other to faithfully follow Christ. And you help us do that because you shepherd us well as also. So thank you for that. And I just pray that we can have this heart of caring for one another, looking to the Lord. He's our shepherd. He's the one that cares for our souls. And so let's all turn to him collectively together as a body. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this sweet family. Thank you for the privilege to be their pastor. Serve as an elder of an incredibly group of gracious men and women boys and girls, families, singles. What an honor. Father, we know and we hear clearly from your word that we have such an important role in our witness to the world around us. And we don't want to take that lightly. One, we don't want to get caught up in all the compromise that we lose our witness altogether. And yet, Father, we also know that it can be hard to stand strong in a world that pushes such resistance against us. And so, Lord, would you help us come together to be strengthened and encouraged, that we would shepherd each other towards a more faithful walk with you, encouraging each other, loving each other, tenderly 
guiding each other to our chief shepherd, our good shepherd who laid down his life for us. We love you, Jesus, and your love for us has been explicitly made clear. May we trust in you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.